Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years, so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people. They were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation. I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house, naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus, to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, I must go on to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. At this, their anger boiled, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon, the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Artemis is our god, Artemis. Inside, the people were all shouting some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, Everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. 
If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I am afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government, since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them, and they dispersed. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. This is quite the morning. First of all, we're singing Christmas songs. And then to cover a passage like this. It seems like the early church is, is starting to boil. It, it seems, again, the impact that it's making is changing culture. I welcome you. I am so glad you made it a priority and that you joined us this morning. Uh, last week, some of you might have known that Sharon and I were on vacation. And we had an opportunity to be in Utah with our grandkids. My daughter, her husband, and the three grandkids. It was amazing. We, we enjoyed the mountains. We loved the 115 degree weather. Weather. While you guys were at 72... It was a dry heat. <laughs> what does that mean? I, I just, you know, it still felt like walking in a pizza oven, you know? But it was good. I'm grateful for Brendan and the team that was here. Um, I know, again, the impact that he has made here. And for me, I had a small group uh, Wednesday morning we meet, one of my um, Crosspoint groups that I'm part of. And it just so happens we are out on Grass Lake, though. Every once in a while we meet in really good places. So at 6 a.m. in the morning, we're having this lively discussion of what went on last Sunday. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful. We have been in the book of Acts. This is the 24th week that we've been focusing on the history of the church. If you're newer to us, you go, ah, history. Yeah. Yes, history of the church. All the way through this book, we are getting inspired and encouraged. We see Dr. Luke describe the importance of the word in the growth and the birth of the church. He consistently shows the range of people who need Christian instruction, the Word of God. Some people know Christ and simply need encouragement and reinforcement. Maybe that's some of you right here. Others may be genuine Christians, but they lack doctrinal clarity on a particular manner, such as we've studied in Apollos's case. Still others are religious, but they have no understanding of the gospel as the disciples of John demonstrate just a few weeks back. Further, some have heard the gospel, but refuse to believe in Christ, as you will see was the case with many unbelieving Jews in Ephesus in just a moment. The great news is that many diverse people will believe the gospel when it's shared and once it happens. Once it happens, there's transformation. You see, the world needs thousands of Bible teaching, Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered, prayer-soaked, gospel-centered people. The world needs word-focused disciple-makers, who will teach others in homes, in public settings, in marketplaces, and everywhere between. Paul models, us, or models this for us, especially since this last part in the book of Acts, 
But right now, we left Paul two weeks ago when I was here in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. We find Paul just getting an urge, realizing it's time to follow up in some churches, but, but to also strengthen and plant some other churches. We have been both inspired and convicted as we've made our journey through Acts. We see these early churches that are being formed are led by the Holy Spirit, which for us is exciting and scary. And if we're honest, we want that. We've seen these early churches united and sacrificially loving their family and growing in community. And we want that. We see these early churches praying and depending on God for life and direction. And we want that. We see these early churches making disciples, evangelizing, encouraging one another who want to make disciples. And we want that. We see these early churches boldly and faithfully preaching the word and responding to it. And we want that. You know, as I've continued to go through this study, there are days I am so inspired. You see, little places, not only personally, but in our churches, yes, yes, we're, we're listening, we're applying this. And then other days, I'm so convicted. It seems like the bar is so high. It seems like I'm failing so much. I even feel defeated. But as we jump into Acts chapter 19, this church, the church, well, that has been started, is just a little bit over 20 years old. It was 20 years ago that Pentecost happened. Our church is 63 years old, give or take. We want to learn from these early churches. We want to be like these early churches. You know, it's interesting that Dr. Luke emphasizes the importance and the impact of God's Word. You know, the preaching of the Word has been a cornerstone here at Crosspoint Church. Yet, the power only comes when we receive and obey the Word. You see, the Word changes lives and changes our culture. It did it back 2,000 years ago, and it can do the same today. My question to you is, as I look out, so many folks have been part of this church. So many folks have walked with God for so many years. And you may even be saying, Rick, why, why do we need another message about the importance of God's Word? <laughs> I know that. I preach it. I teach it. I share with people all the time how important God's Word is. Well, it's pretty important, and Paul makes it a priority in every place he goes. So my question to you this morning, before I pray, before we dig in, is are you willing to hear? I think that was a question that I pondered on. I read this text and I ask God, am I willing to be changed by the word of God that will be preached this Sunday? Lord, are you going to change me first 
before I talk. Let's pray. Lord, I would ask that you do a mighty work in us today. I would ask something very simple. When your word goes out, it is like a hammer. It makes an impact. It is like a sword. It is like a fire. And all these things never leave whatever it touches the same. It just doesn't. Lord, so many of us just come to church. So many of us come every Sunday. So many of us check the box of devotions every day. But God, your word was never given to us so we would become smarter. Your word was given to us so that our lives would change drastically and that we would reflect you better everywhere we go. God, would you do that today? That's our request. Change what needs to be changed. Alter our thinking when our thinking needs to be altered. But by the power of your Spirit, Lord, don't let us leave as the same people today. We pray for those who are watching online. We pray for those who are right here in this building. We pray for those, Father, all over our land. But in particular, we pray for some of the churches right in our area. Lord, we pray for Fierce Church. And we pray for Cross Point. Excuse me, Grace Point. I pray for Cross Point too, Lord. And I pray for Life Bridge. God, use these folks to make a kingdom impact would your word change their lives this morning and would your church make a difference we pray all these things in your son's name amen amen well let's see we're going to start off on how the preaching of the word makes a difference in ephesus all right. If you would turn your Bibles with me to Acts 19. It was a little hard in the beginning to be able to follow along, I'm sure, because the lights were low. But they're up now. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 19, and I'm going to start reading in verse 8 and going through verse 10. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years, so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. We start off hearing this, that Paul preached boldly and argued persuasively about the kingdom in the synagogue for three months. Now, if you remember, just at the end of his second missionary journey, he was on his way back to his home church. He did stop at Ephesus, we see this in Acts chapter 18, and visited the Ephesian synagogue just briefly and even told them, hey, I hope to come back. So Paul is back. Now, we don't know how much he preached in those three months. We're not given that detail. So we know at least he preached once a week, but oftentimes the synagogue offered the opportunity to continue to teach more than just on the Sabbath. So my guess, if Paul had the opportunity, he took advantage of it. We read in these scriptures that some responded to the word. And we know that because he took believers with him after some didn't respond. Some heard the message and they became stubborn. They rejected the message. In fact, they publicly spoke against the way. And that kind of was the nickname that was given some of the believers. 
Remember, Jesus himself said he was the way, he was the truth, he was the life. And so those who listen to Jesus, those who follow Jesus, they said the reputation, especially in the early church, saying, hey, those are followers of the way. Paul, again, doesn't, excuse me, Dr. Luke here, doesn't mention, as he did in the Corinth church, that those who responded were great. Those that didn't, he basically left the synagogue in Corinth, and he shook the dust off his clothes. We saw that was a physical picture of Paul saying, hey, I'm, I'm done. I faithfully presented good news to you. You rejected it. I am going to leave, and I'm going to serve those who are making responsible choices. So Paul leaves the synagogue venue with the believers. It doesn't say where. It doesn't say where it's located, but to a lecture hall. And it seems to be a pattern now, at least in the last few chapters. Paul starts off teaching. Some respond to those he sticks with. To others, he lets them go and spends time with the responsive. The scriptures tell us this, that Paul then taught or discussed, same kind of mentality here, 730 days. It says two years, but we forget about that a little bit, how long that is. So it would have been kind of exciting, I think, to have the Apostle Paul as your teacher for 730 days. Some of us are going like, what could he talk about for 730 days? I mean, really? That's a, that's a lot going on. But that's how important and how much the Word of God meant to Paul. Now, tradition says, and I don't know how much to put into this, but Paul probably taught during the siesta time, between 11 and 4. It was a time, again, when many were available to come and listen. And in my opinion, it would be our evenings, all right? Our culture is a little bit different. But I sense the teaching of the Word was important, and it was urgent. Now, this is the exciting part, and you can see it even emboldened on the screen. The result of 27 months of teaching were that people throughout the land, both the Jews and the Greeks, heard God's word. This is very interesting. Paul's very effective strategy for evangelism was to teach the word to growing disciples and let them spread the gospel. The word, first of all, transformed normal people who naturally shared what changed their lives. The good news naturally travels. Changed lives preach. And that's what was happening, happening in Ephesus. The church was attractive and grew because Christians were salt and light. Now this pattern is probably not the only one to grow a church or to evangelize. But this is a good one. Paul left the unresponsive and taught the responsive. Learning was a priority, first of all, and life transformation was something that normally and naturally happened when they obeyed the word. Now, this only happens if people are transformed by the word. It only happens if people receive God's word, obey God's word, let God's word change them from the inside out. You don't have to light a fire under anybody who walks with God and understands the gospel, is overwhelmed by the gospel, so very grateful for all that Jesus has done for them. You don't. So the question is, are people hearing God's word throughout our land? Throughout Fox Lake and Ingleside? 
throughout and you put it or fill in the blank. This is happening because some are hearing God's word, listening to God's word, allowing God's word to change them from the inside out, and they naturally, no matter where they go, as they go, make disciples, teaching and sharing good news. Now, it's also not happening because there are people who are not listening to God's word and not being transformed or changed, or walking with God. Now, I'm, I'm not here throwing stones. I'm just saying this is what happens when God's Word takes hold of each one of us. It changes us. You treat others differently. You become, as Paul says, a fragrance that draw people to Jesus. Or, as you're going to find out, you're going to cause riots in just a little bit. Now, let me summarize just a little bit Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 11 to 20. Now, if you're newer to Acts, this story had to make you smile. Maybe you've read this story before, but any story that has, well, I would say seven guys get beat up stripped down naked and running out of a building, kind of get your attention. You know what I'm saying? We start off here, though, and Dr. Luke says, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. Now, Paul's ministry, as we know, brought healing and freedom. Those who are sick, physically and spiritually. And those who were possessed, demon-influenced, demon-involved, that Paul, mostly, I think, through his teaching, had an impact. I'm sure there are times he did heal folks directly. I'm sure there's times he called demons out of folks. There, there's no doubt. But one thing I do know, that even in this situation, God says he gave some unusual, unusual. That means this is not usual. Let me remind you that Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. It doesn't mean if you're walking with God, you can hand somebody your bandana and say, be healed. It, it doesn't. But this is what happened. I'm not even sure how it happened. Maybe Paul was working on a tent. Maybe Paul had an apron. Maybe Paul had a sweatband. I don't know. And it fell. And there was some guy listening to Paul, watching Paul. Maybe he had a withered hand. He kind of picked out the sweat cloth with the one that worked. <laughs> all of a sudden, his hand worked. I don't know how all this happened, but it was happening. God was at work, and to say unusual would be an understatement. You see, what we learn from this is the gospel disturbs both worlds, the broken and the demonic. It's so interesting. If you read in Luke chapter 10, and I'm just going to go over there for a moment, it was one of the readings, in fact, in the same group that I had on Wednesday. And these guys were sitting around, and we were just kind of talking about this. And what Jesus did in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10, is that he sends out 72 followers, disciples. And he says, hey, I want you to go make an impact. I want you to go heal people. I want you to preach the gospel. And so now they're all coming back. And starting in verse 17, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully re reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. And this is Jesus' reply. Listen to this. Yes. He told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all power of the enemy. Jesus just said this with his unbelievable spiritual insights and eyesight. He says, you know, when I sent you guys out 
There were times maybe when I was praying, there's times when I was walking along a path and I was able to see the heavenly realms. And it was so cool. And Satan, over and over and over, just as you guys went out and you taught in my name. It was cool. And so Dr. Luke is giving us a snapshot of what was happening in the first century. Don't understand it all, I'll say that. But there's traveling exorcists who heard of Paul, maybe even saw Paul use the name of Jesus in his healing. So they thought that was kind of a, a, a way to do it, and they were using the name of Jesus. Specifically, Sceva's seven sons were doing this. But one day it didn't work well. They were trying to cast out demons. And the demon responded quite negatively rises up beats them up and sends them out naked you can imagine this story spreading quickly even without the internet all right you you can well understand this was unusual but really the story that was spreading was Hey, there's some false teachers and prophets out there. There's some charlatans. They trying to work some magic. But realistically, it's Paul and his relationship with his God. And he teaches about Jesus, the Messiah. And there is changing, or there is power in his name, and life change in the name of Jesus. You see, the results of Paul's faithful teaching and healing ministry is very different than the charlatans. First of all, the name of Jesus was respected. They saw the power and the authority and the healing. Secondly, there was revival that broke out and life change. There was confession of sin. It often happens when you recognize who Jesus is. Multitudes of people confessed their sins. The enemy was defeated. And what was so unique about this story is that there was radical destruction of satanic material worth millions of dollars. Don't you actually enjoy it that they didn't say, hey, you know what, I'm going to try to get some of my money back. Uh, I think I can sell this to other people that aren't responding. No. Sometimes there's this cost of obedience. And the idea is this stuff is evil. I am going to get rid of it. Let's start a bonfire. Can you imagine a million dollar bonfire or a multi-million dollar bonfire? God was doing a work. He was cleansing. And what's so cool, the message of the Lord spreads and was powerful. Chapter 19, verse 20. Again, this is what God's Word does. It inspires and convicts. Every time you open this up, every time you listen to it, every time, if you're at a place where you're checking the box because you did your devotions, you're missing out. Every time the book is opened, the Holy Spirit will convict or encourage us. God's Word changes us. God's Word gives us life. God's Word offers us hope. It is attractive. And what I'm saying is this, again, if it's not doing that, maybe you walk out and Oh, nice message. Maybe you hear a podcast. Oh, yeah, that was a good illustration. Maybe you pick this thing up and you read your chapter or your verse and you put it back down and say, okay, uh, what's for breakfast? Maybe. Maybe. Something's wrong. Because this is a fire. This 
is a hammer. This is a sword. This is every time it's presented. Every time it goes out. Every time. Every time. The Spirit does something. It is impossible, if you're listening to this, for you not to be radically changed every single day. Every single day, God is going to chip something away. You're going to love differently. You're going to say and talk things differently. You're going to treat people differently. You're going to receive persecution differently. You're going to thank God differently for things you shouldn't be thanking God for. Then we jump to the last part. Acts chapter 19, all the way, verse 21, all the way just into the first verse of chapter 20. This is crazy. Like, who would want to hang around with Paul? Have you got this yet? This is not a fun guy to hang around with. Something happens. So Paul, even he's ready to leave. Okay, been there 27 months. I think it's about time. We're going to go a different place. God, you're prompting me. And the scripture says, before he goes, a riot happens. Actually, this is so cool. Look at verse 23, which I think is actually a key to actually understanding everything here. I better get to it first. Okay. Verse 23, about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. Wow. The way, the message of Jesus, was causing trouble, making unbelievers uncomfortable, changing believers. But really, it was the impact of the folks listening to Jesus that caused this cultural shift. Now we find out that the kindling point was economics. We get that. Hey, people aren't buying as many silver trinkets or idols, and oh boy, our economy's going to go down. I get it. But let me remind you, after 27 months of Paul sharing truth, many lives were changed. The city and the culture was different. Do you believe that? 27 months of hearing God's word, of growing, of having the church at Ephesus changing little bit by little bit and then going out back home into the marketplace wherever they were, sharing good news, sharing what God does, sharing what God is doing loving people differently, being a perfume or a fragrance to all those around. You see, what's so cool is when we meet Jesus, he changes our priorities and affections. When a person is genuinely converted to faith in Jesus, he or she gets new affections. Old loves or desires or interests are replaced with new ones. They have become new creations, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And they experience a new love for Jesus, his church, and his mission. Remember, the Ephesians love many things, sports and theater and idol, especially their famed goddess Art Artemis and wealth. But when Paul preached the gospel... And the Holy Spirit opened the eyes of many in the city. They experienced change in their affection. Now let me try to illustrate this. You will all get it. Yeah, you will. But if you ever had a crush, you'll have experienced this. Or if right now, maybe that was a long time ago, and you have some kids in your household, and they're getting a little bit older, and you have an older child who all of a sudden has a crush. 
all things change. You see, a smitten lad or lass changes. Sometimes overnights, especially for guys. I mean, it's a little bit for girls, but guys is hilarious, right? I mean, never ever taking a shower could care less about it. All of a sudden, you're taking two, three, four showers a day. So what's, what just happened to my son? Combs his hair, dresses differently. He's using deodorant. Do you imagine that? Deodorant. Never, ever thought that would happen. He even puts on cologne. Man, does he put on cologne. I'm trying to say a little bit of cologne, but no, cologne. It's crazy. The smitten do things because they've experienced a change in their affections. <laughs> There's someone out there. All right. Whoa. And that's the sort of thing that happens when we meet Jesus, only in a much greater way. It, it really does. When affections change, and let me say this clearly. You change. So maybe the word isn't that important. Maybe your affection has waned. You know, it's that way in marriage. Have you noticed that? The sad fact is that still 50% of marriages that happen today dissolve within one year. How's that happen? Actually, the stat is the same for in the church and outside the church, quite sadly. But how does that happen? How come you can be so in love and then all of a sudden say, I don't like you anymore? I think it happens sometimes with Christians. So infatuated in the beginning. So grateful, overwhelmed by God's grace. So grateful for everything that God has done. But life gets busy. We don't have to nurture that relationship. We start doing things rudimentary or perfunctory, and it fades. We even go to church every once in a while, be reminded, but it fades. Our affection isn't there anymore. But these Ephesians, they fell in love with Jesus. They received his word. They preached his word. They lived out the message. And they let the power of their changed lives confront and push out old ways. They changed for the better. The Ephesian believers did not lobby the city authorities. They didn't picket the silversmith shops or organized demonstrations against the great temple of, Diana, or of Artemis slash Diana. Isn't that unique? And I'm not saying if you do any of those things, it's wrong. But that wasn't their plan. Their plan was to learn about who Jesus is, love Jesus with all their hearts, let Jesus continually change their lives, go out into the marketplace and be able to share and proclaim, be salt and light, and have people say, wow, I want that. I want that. Let me tell you, it's all about a relationship with Jesus. I, I met him actually long, you know, 43 years ago. And I'm still mad. I mean, I still love him. I met him 60 years ago. Oh, I can't wait to meet with him every morning. He gives me what I need. I am wiser. I am smarter. I am more effective. Do you realize that relation? I can't think of living a day, living an hour, living a minute without my Jesus. I can't. I can't. The believer's affections changed. They turned from idols to the living Christ. And eventually, at least we read, the riot dissipates. And Paul encourages the church. In chapter 20, verse 1, he's just about to leave now. We'll probably start here next week. But he says, when the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers, and he encouraged them. Wow. It's been a rough time. <laughs> we just went through a riot again, guys. Sorry. But I want you to know it's so worth it. Isn't Jesus amazing? 
Keep sharing. This city has changed. Don't stop. People's lives are different. They've passed from death to life. Go get them, guys. You know, realistically, this is a story, a great story, a story of a great awakening. Some of the history buffs That rings a bell. A great awakening. A time when a group of people were slumbering, sleeping, inactive. <laughs> Something happened that ignited them. The great awakening happened in Ephesus because God's word was preached and received. This is how every great awakening begins. And if we experience one right now, it's going to happen that way. How many of us? Oh, the government. Yeah, I, I get it. Oh, do you know what they're teaching in our schools? Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, my neighbors. Mm, yeah, I do. I know this. Their hope, the only hope, our country's hope, is sitting right here. That's it. In every other church, in every other place, as we listen to God's word, as we walk and do life, you want to change our country? I'm just telling you. Listen to God, walk with God, and share your story. Do that. We'd have to sell tickets here. We would. Multiple services. We would. Let's review. God's word changes us first. Your affection, my affection, makes God, God's word a priority in my life. As I listen, as I open this up, as I hear it every opportunity, as I study it every night for 736 days, it's going to make a difference in how I treat my husband, how I treat my wife, how I talk to my kids, how I treat my co-workers. It will make a difference. Sometimes it involves confession. Other times, it's just extreme joy. Secondly, God's word changes a culture. Changing people impact their worlds, their schools, their neighborhoods. I want to remind you, some respond, and the ones who resist sometimes is pretty scary, causes riots. I want to encourage you, as you do the journey, to, to remind yourself to, to get in places where you can learn God's word. I want to encourage you to be part of a crosspoint group. It's a place where you grow. It's a place, again, where you're able to wrestle with the scriptures. But it's also a place for encouragement to keep going. We are salt and light. We are. You know, the preaching of the word I started off has been cornerstone here at, or been important here at Crosspoint Church. Yet, the power comes in receiving and obeying the word. The word changes lives and culture today the same way it did 2,000 years ago. And the question, it's a, it's a tough question, if it's not happening in your life or in the life of our church, we need to ask questions. 
Maybe today, today, God is going to start a revival and it's going to start with us. Maybe today. You know, I know some of you read God's Word all the time, but I want to give you a tool. It's a tool I hand out pretty often. It's on the information um, table just as you leave, not even in the, in the lobby. Right here, there's plenty of copies. It's just called Seven Minutes with God. And, and realistically, you sit there and say, well, Rick, you just gave us this uh, long talk. I mean, seven minutes, that doesn't sound much. And I got to be honest with you, as I talk with so many Christians, most don't spend seven minutes a day with God. They don't. So I'm not even trying to keep the bar low. I'm just saying, maybe it's a start. Even for those who walk with God, you might want to take this. There's some great principles. It's igniting. It helps you. I hope you take it home. And I hope that God's Word becomes more of a priority in our church and among our people. I'm convinced God's mission is unfinished. And that sharing good news and making disciples happens because people have an affection for Jesus. Let me pray. God, this is so overwhelming, and, and it seems so pathetic, really, as a strategy. I listen to you. You change me, and I just am salt and light wherever I go. But God, that's your plan. I pray for our selfishness. I pray for our self-centeredness. I pray for our busyness. I pray, dear God, that, that your word would not just sit on a shelf. I pray that every time, Lord, every time your word is picked up, every verse that I memorize, every message that I hear, that your word is like a fire, it's like a sword, it's like a hammer. Jeremiah said that, Lord. May we remember the power of your word and fall in love with you again today. In Jesus' name.